Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. The new film from the Coen brothers, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, will be available on Netflix starting this Friday. The film had its North American premiere at this year's New York Film Festival, where Joel and Ethan Coen and members of the cast, including Tim Blake Nelson, Zoe Kazan, and Bill Heck, joined us for a press conference moderated by Kent Jones. The Coens discussed the anthology film's music and album-like structure, what it was like to return to the Western genre, and their evolution as storytellers. Let's go to that now. Where did you guys begin? What was the first story? Well, the first story actually, I think, was the first story in the movie, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, but th- these, these are stories that were written over, you know, 25 years, really. So that goes way back, that one. <clears throat> and then they follow, in a, with a couple of exceptions, kind of in chronological order in terms of when they were written, roughly. Um, and they just got, you know, put in a drawer because they were short movies and, you know, we didn't know what we were going to do with them. Or we didn't I probably even really expect to make them um, until maybe eight or ten years ago where we started thinking, well, maybe we could do these all together. And you started thinking about the order um, because they really do follow a yeah. kind of a secret thread. Yeah, they have a sort of, you know, once, once we gotten through them, we actually, really when we'd written five out of six, right? We, yeah, uh, yes, but <clears throat> yeah, they've kind of, we didn't even really think of the order in terms of ordering them, they kind of fell into an order by virtue of when we read them, wrote them, read them. Um, <laughs> we make our living we with words. <laughs> um, and we looked at the order they'd fallen in and we thought, okay, that's a good order. There you go. Um, and also that, that, yes, they could be sort of seen as the sequenced, you know, series of stories or tracks on a record album or mm-hmm. something like that. That was kind of the right sequence for them. I mean, it's a weird animal, so just in terms of the format. Yeah, it's a great idea to start off with Sons of the Pioneers music. Beautifully yeah, sung, I might add. Yeah, <laughs> second time we've done that. <laughs> um, let's go to the audience for questions. Yeah. Wait for the microphone. It's going to be passed down to you. Uh, he's right here. Yeah. The wordplay in your scripts is always second to none. Uh, so do sayings like pecking Pythagoras and gibberings of nations crop up in the first draft? Or are they peppered in later on once the story and characters are kind of settled on? Are they peppered in? (laughs) It's funny to think of a past where we just put in funny words. (laughs) But no, that does not happen. You could could develop an app. That'd be great. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's a hand. Oh, okay. There we go. Right there. Hi, this is Art here. Uh, so uh, this was really wonderful, um, of course, uh, because you guys are awesome. But uh, as these wonderful storytellers, did you have an urge to merge these stories, or like uh, build a, 
like the final story, because I was all along expecting that is that going to happen, although I knew it may not as an anthology. But did you have that urge? And if uh, yes, why you didn't do it? Um, I'm not sure I understood all of that. But, um, <laughs> did, you have, did, did, you, did you ever have the urge to merge them all together into one grand narrative and... The grand Balzacian thing. Yeah. You mean having, having the stories connected somehow with characters or... No. No, no, we... No, I was really sort of what I said before, we had these stories, they all seemed to, they were all Westerns, so there was that, and then we seemed to, and then they seemed to relate to each other, but kind of retrospectively, you know, yeah. rather than sort of consciously when we started doing it, obviously. Yeah. Um, um, so, no, there was never the impulse to do it. I mean, as I said, it's, it's kind of a strange form, but it grew out of just the odd nature of how they came into existence. When when you guys were shooting, you're shooting each you know story separately. It's like it's your own movie. I'm just wondering from from Bill, from Tim, from Zoe, and Bill and Zoe, you're in the same story. Tim, you're in the first story. How it feels to see your part of the movie within the whole. <clears throat> Uh, well, we we all got to read the the stories. Uh, we we all got to read the entire script uh, before we shot our individual constituent parts, uh, unrelated to the others. But I, I think probably as actors, we all felt a responsibility toward the genre of each film in which we appear. Because I think what's astonishing about this is that it's six different movies within the Western genre, but then each one is in the vernacular of a subgenre in and of itself. And that, I, I, it, at least with me, and I'm pretty sure with, with the other actors, uh, just underscored one's responsibility to, to fit, appear indelibly within the genre in which you appear. And so um, understanding that and then getting to see the successes of the others uh, in, like in, in, in theirs, in the, the st uh, stagecoach, uh, a covered wagon, sorry. Uh, covered wagon, <laughs> in the covered wagon one. Uh, uh, I think Bill and Zoe are, are so p perfect uh, in that. Um, and fit so well in that genre in terms of their acting styles. Uh, and it was just really rewarding um, to encounter that in all the stories. And so that's what was most gratifying about seeing the whole, is experiencing the success of others. I mean, I, I, I'll echo you uh, in, and say that also when you see a movie that you're in, like. I don't know about other actors, but I spend like half the time like this. Um, and, and so to know that I could watch like 80% of this movie happily was wonderful. <laughs> um, but then also I had the same experience watching it as I did reading it, which is that I, I do see like a, a tremendous internal like dream logic between the chapters um, and to get to see how they sort of like um, a 
create, uh, like accumulate together, like what the feeling is when you hit mortal remains at the end, like um, that that was uh, like hit me all anew watching it. Um, and kind of like uh, there was so much treasure there along the way that I did not get to witness being shot. Yes, I agree with all that. Um, but I, I think Zoe was saying uh, at the previous Q&A how each piece sort of gives permission for the next one to occur. <clears throat> it leads into the next one. So I, in addition to what they're saying, there's something so satisfying about really witnessing how, you, how you're lifted up by everything else that's come before you. And um, uh, something very safe about that, I think, that you don't usually get in the midst of that kind of viewing. Yeah. Yep. No, no, right here, right here. Uh, for the Coens, were there any actors that um, you considered for other roles and other stories before they ended up in the ones they were in? And then for the actors watching it or having read it, were there other roles that you could have seen yourself in or would have liked to take a shot at? Were there other actors considered for the parts that the, the actors were? Well, oh, oh okay. Uh, I thought you meant, were we considering actors from one story for another story? Yeah, oh, that's what you're asking. Both. Um, no, uh, no, we kind of cast it, um, as you, each individual story, I mean, the simplest way to put it is we cast each individual story as if it were just a film unto itself. You know, you, you weren't really thinking about the other, the other stories. This gentleman here. Uh, hi, I enjoy this immensely. Uh, but I wanted to ask uh, about the casting. Uh, I understand in Nebraska locales you use uh, local people and I'd like to know, do they fit in well working with professionals? And did you have any problems with that? Uh, well, the Nebraska story's really the same as the other ones that we did in that they're all, the principal parts were all played by uh, actors from elsewhere, but uh, extras in small, I guess, I guess there were some small parts that were played by, Local people? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. But that was, that was true in the other, uh, the things we shot. We shot four of the stories near Santa, around Santa Fe. Bill and Zoe's in western Nebraska and the Tom Waits one in, uh, near Telluride. Well, the Tom Waits one didn't have any smaller parts. It was just the two parts. But as for all the other ones, they were, uh, they were all, uh, you know, professional actors in the, what Joel was saying, professional actors in the main parts. and locals filling out some of the very, some of the small parts. A, a Nebraska-centric question, interesting, yep. Yeah. Yeah, hello. <clears throat> At one point this was rumored to be a, a kind of series for Netflix, and then it kind of was like, oh, no, it's a movie now, it's compliant, it's an anthology. I was curious, do you have more stories that you had to, wanted to tell? Was it the different lengths kind of not make it a series worthy, or is it just never gonna be a series? No, it was always, I mean, I think that's an artifact of just what a strange animal it is, and they didn't know, and none of us really knew sort of what to call it or, or, or how to uh, classify it. Um, 
But aside from the confusion about the classification, um, the actual what we were going to shoot, the length of each, the stories, all of which you know vary, um, was never anything that we were considering doing anything differently. There were never any more stories, um, and they were always intended to be seen together as a group. Um, Apropos strange animal, um, you have horses, a dog, owls, flies, very prominently. Any favorite animals you worked with and any least favorite ones? Flies are very hard to work with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, there are a lot of animals. <laughs> um, uh, maybe that's just, you know, doing Western, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, no, we do tend to sort of load the movies up with domestic animals, don't we? Um, you know, I don't know, it's a Western, they're horses. It, it, it is true, I have to say, if you do a Western, you spend 90% of your time dealing and thinking about the horses. Um, and the oxen, the oxen were new to us. I uh, asked Travis, who is the uh, oxen wrangler, because we wanted the oxen to do something specific in the take, and I asked him if he could do that, and he just sighed, and he went, <laughs> he looked at me like I was an idiot, and he said, <clears throat> driving oxen is it's not self-evident. <laughs> uh, yeah, right there. What an exceptional film. As always, the perfect fusion of profound and wise-ass. But, uh, and along those lines, I wanna ask you, is Pot Shot something that existed before this film or was that something that you came up with? Because pan, pan Shot, you mean. Pan Shot, I'm sorry, Pan Shot, yes. Uh, no, I, I think we came up with it. I think it's pretty specific to its context. <laughs> Yeah, right there. Uh, Carter Burrell's collaboration with you is in fine form as ever in this film. I'd love to hear if there was a difference to the collaboration this time, it being a bunch of separate stories versus an overall narrative. Uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. Or I don't know if it's interesting or not. It was something we talked about a lot. Uh, the, the, there, as Tim was saying, generically very different. I mean, they're all Westerns, but they're such different kinds of stories. And we talked about whether the music should, to what extent it should play all those different things and to what extent it should kind of tie the things together. Um, I, you know, we pretty much, but we pretty much ended on, as I guess you would have to, the music plays what the thing is. It doesn't play the unifying thing, except in the kind of obvious and literal way that the, the little overture title thing is kind of the most familiar, one of the familiar Western themes, Streets of Laredo, and Brendan sings it at the end, and the end recalls it again, and, 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 and again in the end credits. So to whatever extent that unifies things musically. Um, yeah, but it's an interesting question. It's the question we confronted. Actually, with all of them, they're so different. How, how, how much are you going to accent the differences and how much are you going to say 
it's all the same movie. And there isn't a kind of uniform answer, it's just what we always confronted. Yeah, I think, as Ethan said, the lucky thing was that with the Streets of Laredo, which, which is such a familiar melody, such a familiar tune, and we knew from the beginning that we wanted Brendan to sing what is essentially kind of a uh, early version of that. It's the Celt, it's the you know Irish Scottish version of the song, where the song came from. Um, but that using it at the beginning would help sort of link the things. But the question actually you're asking, as Ethan said, is something that was talked about a lot, and it wasn't just limited to the music. It was also an issue that came up in terms of the shooting styles and the also just the kind of color timing look of the movie and how much to differentiate between the different stories and how much not to, how far to sort of push that and how much to sort of, you know, pull back a little bit in terms of your original instincts about it. And that went through a lot of iterations and it's the kind of iterate, you know, it's the kind of thing that's very easy to sort of iterate and reiterate now that that kind of color timing is done in a computer as opposed to photochemically. So that went back and forth a little bit too and then sort of found its place. Um, but yeah, you put, as, as Ethan said, you put your finger on something that was very much discussed. Tim, I remember um, a few years back we did a, uh, an anniversary screening of A Brother Where Art Thou and you went into great detail about your experience working on the sets of the Joel, and, um, Joel and Ethan's movies. And I was just wondering if you could talk about how your work with them is uh, how it's how it's been going back every few years and um, how they've evolved over the years. Uh, yeah, they finally know what they're doing. Yeah. They just figured it out on this movie. Uh, they uh, it, 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 referring to a press conference we had or, or a, a, a Q and A we had earlier. I had um, suddenly realized that. The, the oxymoronic nature of who and what Joel and Ethan are as directors and filmmakers, uh, because they're incredibly, unbelievably, uh, um, uh, in, an, in an unparalleled way, uh, meticulous and prepared as filmmakers, so that when you get to the set, there really are no decisions being made during the shooting time that could have been made earlier. And that rigor pays off in an interesting way because it allows um, for the actors inside of that meticulous preparation to be utterly free, to have all the time an actor could possibly want to do this very careful writing shot in a very careful and specific way. And so I think it's the amount of preparation uh, that, that with which I became familiar on O oh Brother and I'd never encountered before in any movie I'd done with any director uh, or directors. Uh, and um, repeated once more here uh, with the added challenge, I think for Joel and Ethan that they were making effectively six films uh, with six different linguistic principles inside the language of a Western. And I found the specificity with which they were working on uh, my, the, the one I'm in, the, the sort of Gene Autry singing cowboy aesthetic, unbelievable. Uh, 
in, in terms of its extremes and its fearlessness and the way that they were pushing me and in certain cases allowing me to do certain stuff. Uh, and then seeing the whole movie, watching five other versions of that was, um, was truly astonishing. Uh, so what I guess I really mean to say is that the, the opposite of my joke is true. Uh, they continue to be unparalleled in terms of the work they put in, the preparation they do, and the specificity born out in the shooting and also in the result. Time for one more. Yeah, right here. Just, yes, just wait for the microphone. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. But I, I, I want to ask you, which was, this is an homage to the Western world, and I felt like you put so much emphasis on the sky, the earth, the mountains, the timeless, the space, which is more important in this film? This space of the Western world, of the human beings that were there like some kind of, uh, not puppets, but, but I don't know, more, more of a caricature of, of the, of the Cowboys and all that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I think there's a lot. Um, you know, I mean, it rings a bell. It, it's, it's, you know, you think about these stories, uh, you think about them in terms of people and landscapes. I think that that's true. I, I don't think, I think that may be common to other things that we've done too. But I, you might say, especially in a Western. But if you think about like, you know, Fargo or No Country for Old, you know, there are also things that we, I think, from a visual point of view or just from a story point of view, you think about them sort of, you know, initially at least, as sort of people in a landscape. I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, sure. <laughs> I know like Bill and Zoe's thing, which we shot in Western Nebraska, which was beautiful. Um, I, it's I, you don't even know how to separate them. The characters go with that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a story with that landscape and those characters. Uh, and Tim's Tim's movie we shot in a kind of dumbass looking western town, movie town, uh, which looked great for what it was. But again, it's like yeah, that's the, that that setting goes with that character. The last one kind of doesn't have a setting. It's it doesn't have a real landscape of any kind, but that's kind of, uh, with those characters, I, you know, it's not even generically, it's just uh, what kind of story is it? It's like five people in a stagecoach, and uh, it's more of a Rod Serling thing than a Western thing, although it's kind of both. Um, and they go together, those characters, again, with the kind of no setting or imaginary setting. I just, I, I guess I'm just agreeing with you at length. <laughs> uh, any plans on what animals you can work with on your next film? Just yeah. Thank you, you guys. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks, everybody. The close-up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. 
You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.